So we're going, we're going to read from Psalm 124 tonight. Psalm 124. A song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. May God's uh, word touch our hearts uh, tonight. Uh, I'd like to think that we would all feel encouraged uh, and full of gratitude uh, in looking at this psalm tonight. I think that would be the, the big objective as far as taking something away from, from being here tonight. The Lord is on our side. It's, it's repeated twice uh, for emphasis. Now, some people might think that that statement is, is pretty presumptuous. Can, can we say that the Lord is, is on our side? I mean, they used to, they used to criticize soldiers during the, during the war for that. Apparently, some soldiers um, officially had that written on their uniforms. God was on their side. And, of course, there was the argument that one side was praying and so was the other side praying. And they both thought that God was on their side. And could that possibly be the case? And is it presumptuous for us to think that God is on our side. Well, it's David, of course, that employs this language. He, he's written it down here twice, as I say, for emphasis. And he makes it into a psalm. And this psalm is used for the people of God. And, and they learned to sing it. And they sang it for generations. That the Lord is, is on our side. And so I hope that we will be encouraged as we take this uh, and we think about uh, what it means. We've been learning, of course, that uh, these psalms that run 15 of them in total from Psalm 120 to 135 are called the, the Psalms of Ascent. I like to think of, about them as uh, marching songs uh, for the people, um, companies who have traveled, pilgrims, whatever, armies have always had their marching songs. Uh, that they that they walked along to. I was uh, looking up uh, World War One. Um, this was not a Vera Lynn one. Uh, it was World War One, but the the soldiers used to sing, among many other ones. You know, pack up your your troubles and your your old kit bag and and smile. You know, and they, and they used to march singing these songs. I've got a book for Ollie with me tonight. Ollie was reminding me of his illustrious name that was mentioned in his, down there in Westminster Abbey, David Livingston. And Livingston, in the book that I've got for him here tonight, 
uh, describes his great love getting up in these early mornings in Africa uh, and the bearers would, would pack up their burdens and they would start walking along the long grass with the dew falling off it and how they would, they would sing as they marched along. Well, well, here are these marching songs of the people of God, pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem to, to worship, to worship God. And, you know, we, we need to take this principle to our hearts as well. We, we are, we are pilgrims. We, we are marching to Zion as well. That's an old gospel hymn, by the way. You know, we are marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. You know, we are marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. And a very basic point that I enjoyed this week is this. You know, it's almost as if Psalm 120, the first one, is is at base camp. And uh, they're climbing higher with every song that's sung. And there are different staging points along the way. And if any of you have, have of course, been to Israel and you've, 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 you've tried to get to Jerusalem from the Jericho side, from the Dead Sea side, you'll, you'll know how steep that is to try and get all the way up there. And uh, the point is... That every song takes you higher. And uh, we, are, we are pilgrims. But our journey is not a linear journey. We're not, we're not traveling on a straight road. Every day we're, we're getting higher. We're getting nearer. We're traveling upwards towards the eternal city where our God is. So in our pilgrim journey, as we learn to to sing the words of these songs and are encouraged by them and are taught and guided by them, let's remember it's it's an upward march uh, that we're on. So let's try and look at some of the lessons from marching song number five that we have before us tonight. I want to bring your attention um, to the very first word of the psalm, if. A pretty small word, but a small word that conveys a very big point. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. So what David is saying to the people of God, to the nation, is this. You need to remind yourselves as you sing this. You need to constantly remind yourself about the greatness and about the power of God. That it was only God who could have made the difference in your lives. Nobody else. It didn't matter your own capabilities or your intelligence, or your ingenuity. Uh, It was God, and God alone, who made the difference. If he hadn't intervened, and if he hadn't stood with you, and hadn't been with you. And of course, he's thinking in his mind over the whole history of the nation. Maybe going all the way back to the Exodus. And, 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 and thinking of instances in his own experience as David uh, um, 
in the valley of Elah, for instance, facing up to, to, to Goliath and all the troubles and things that David himself had had to experience. And if the Lord had not stood by him, and if the Lord had not been with them and on their side, then things would have been a disaster. And it didn't matter who else was standing with them. Often these kings, if you read through the the books of Chronicles and so forth in our Old Testament, you read about covenants and treaties that they entered into with a variety of nations and kings, and they hired various peoples to be assistant to them. And it doesn't matter who else stands with you. It's the only person that really matters is if. It's the Lord. Because if he had not been on our side, things would have been a disaster. They would have been swallowed up. They would have been swept away. So that was their situation. And there is an application, of course, for us tonight. And it's this. That we must never forget that this principle applies to us. Not not so much at a kind of national level, but at a personal and at a spiritual level, as far as our our souls are concerned. I mean, where would we all have been if the Lord had not stepped in? If it hadn't been for him, what what would have been our situation? What could we have done? What expectation could we have had? Where could we have turned to? Nowhere unless the Lord. Of course, that idea is there in Psalm 127, verse 1 as well, isn't it? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. And so it's bringing us back to the most basic of points tonight, isn't it? And sometimes it's very good for that to happen just to come right back to the basics that unless God in his love had had, if he hadn't sent his son the Lord Jesus into our world if he hadn't taken our sins and carried our sorrows upon the cross of Calvary if all that had never happened there would have been no hope for us there could have been no salvation and it doesn't matter what I do And it doesn't matter all my abilities or all my qualifications or whatever. Unless God comes in, then I'm lost and I'm swallowed up and I'm swept away. The only person that makes any difference is the Lord. And we have nowhere else to turn. That's why we sing, when I survey the wondrous cross. Because we see there our only hope. We've got no other argument. We've got no other plea. The only thing that's enough is Christ and that Christ died for me. So let's go over some of the the fundamental basic points that uh, are often emphasized in Scripture. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Only one way, only one saviour, only one helper who is able to rescue us. 
And neither is there salvation, said the early apostles, in any other. There is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And so we look at the many diverse faiths in our world today. And we we respect people. We are not bigots. But what we have to understand is as far as the truth of the gospel is concerned, it is exclusive. There is only one helper as far as the state of our corruption and sin before God is concerned. And the Lord Jesus is the way. If it had not been the Lord. Um, There's a famous poem that has this title, the same title of this small word. If, you probably remember it, it's it's Rudyard Kipling's famous poem. Uh, poem uh, which he writes to his son and uh, kind of things that he says he repeats the word of course time and time again uh, throughout the poem and he says things like if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat these two imposters just the same if You can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything in it. And what is more? You'll be a man, my son. Uh, The point that he's really making is this. That if you do this, and if you do that, then, then here is the reward that's held out for you. Well, The same word is used in Kipling's If poem and in David's If psalm, but the emphasis is the same. It's completely different, rather. The emphasis is it's what God has done. It's about the name and the power and the salvation of God. If if the Lord hadn't been on our side, not if I can do this, and if I can do that. So, so let us constantly remind ourselves, as they were doing, as they sang this, uh, of this great point as we enter into this new week. Secondly, just to point out that, that phrase again, on our side. Uh, it doesn't matter who is on the other side if God is on our side. Um, I can remember, we we with a guy, a friend at at school, who who ended up being a Scottish internationalist uh, football player. And when you were picking uh, uh, team members, and uh, and if if Jazza was on your side, um, it didn't matter who else you had, you you knew you were gonna win, you know, because he was was that good. if the Lord's on our side, it doesn't matter what else is, is stacked against us. I was speaking to somebody just this morning, actually, telling me about some of the classes that he's attending. Uh, philosophy classes, Emmanuel Kent, you know, philosophies that are really, which seem to be deliberately organized to tear down the gospel and the the reality of God and to shake the faith 
of Christian people. You know, so many things stacked against us as people who believe in God and try to follow the Lord Jesus. But, but let's hold on to this. He's on our side and he stands with us. You know, we, we learned relatively recently, didn't we, from Romans chapter 8, the, the, the similar truth that if God is for us, if God is for us, and he is, who can be against us? That question is, is thrown out there. Is, is there anybody that can possibly make a difference in standing against us if God is for us? Now, you might want to, to turn again just briefly uh, to Romans 8, because I, I just want to point out a couple of things that really emphasize this point of God being on our side. And the points uh, are these. Uh, that the great purposes of God are things that stand for us. You see that the verse I'm quoting is verse 31. What shall we then say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? And all the verses that come before that talk about God's purposes. The fact that God, in his sovereignty and in his greatness, he foreknew us and then he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And you, you can take time to stop at each one of these words and think about them and the implications of them and all that they mean. And God has done all of these things. And what are we going to say in response to that? Well, what we're going to say is this. If God's for us, and he is, who can stand? Who is going to change that? This, these great commands have been sent out. Who's going to revoke them? Who's going to, who's going to turn them back and annul them? Nobody. God has done this. And I've often enjoyed the fact that um, he uses um, the past tense um, to refer to something that is still to happen in the future. So it says that he has glorified. Now that, that refers to what is going to happen one day, as far as the, the believer is concerned, but such is the certainty of it that the past tense is used, because nothing can change that. If God is for us, nobody can change that. And then look at the verses that follow on from it. When he talks about God... Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God stands on our side. And here is the proof of it. The greatest example of it. This is the, the contrast with, with Abraham and Isaac. Isaac's life was spared. But God did not spare his own son. And if you look at this passage again, you'll see the, the triune God is mentioned. God did not spare his own son. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The Holy Spirit, he prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed. And Christ is at the right hand of God on our behalf. And if all these things are for us, who can possibly stand against us? He's on our side. He's with us. And even when, you know, situations are difficult, like, like Timothy received uh, from Paul, you know, the end of Second Timothy, Paul is recounting to his young friend his experiences. And he said, at my first defense, there, there, there was nobody that stood with me. Everybody in the province of Asia deserted me. However, he said, the Lord stood with me. The Lord was by my side. And so we should take all of, all of these things. You know, we should be singing these words. You know, I don't know if this goes to the metrical Psalms. And you, you know, we should, we should be singing these words to ourselves. The Lord is on our side. Whatever the circumstances of our individual lives are, difficult uh, though they might be, he is with us. The Lord is on our side. And of course, he does make that point at the end of verse 1. Let Israel now say this. So he's almost like saying to them, I want, I want to hear you say it. I want to hear you sing it. You know, now say it out loud. Say these words. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Let Israel say it. It's good for us to say these things to ourselves every day to remind ourselves of the reality and of the truth of these great points. And what he does in the rest of the psalm here is that he just really expands on this. And uh, he, he's, he's going to talk, first of all, about the danger that they were in and you really get that from verse 3 to 5 and then he talks about their deliverance uh, in verses 6 to 7 and finally the last verse he talks about their helper their their savior their their rescuer you know as far as the danger is concerned he uses two images two pictures He talks about uh, being swallowed up alive. Somebody was telling me this week about their pet bow constrictor. um, And how you can sometimes feed these snakes, baby pigs and small animals. And their jaws dislocate and they swallow them whole and and down they go. You know, And, and what a terrifying picture. You know, of being swallowed alive. You know, such were the opponents and the enemies of God's people. The second picture is of a a flood, terrible torrent, raging waters, sweeping people away, drowning them. That, That seems to be the danger that these people were in. And he says, I want you to remind yourself of the danger you were in. And that may well have been physical, but the great message for us to remind ourselves is about our danger. That we were in. You know we we were in a terrible predicament. As far as the state of our sin is concerned. And sometimes we fail to appreciate. Just how awful 
the danger that we were in to be swallowed alive or swept away with the, the, with the judgment of God because of our terrible opposition to him. And that's the reality for our world. But despite our, our desperate, dangerous situation, there is this wonderful deliverance. Tremendous deliverance. And the way he pictures that is this. We haven't been given as prey to their teeth. It's like a, a bird that's, that's going to be captured and taken. And the interesting thing is this, that it's not just the fact that the bird has escaped from the snare. But the snare that was made and prepared and laid as the trap is actually removed and is broken itself and is destroyed. So the means of our intended destruction itself has been destroyed. Can't help but think of the, is it Wesley's great hymn? He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. The power of the blood of Christ. And the truth of the resurrection of Christ. Which destroys death. And destroys him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And that's the wonderful message of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. That not only are we freed. Not only do we escape. But the very thing that was holding us is destroyed. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, there will be a day when on that great resurrection time, we'll be able to say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? We can exult over death and over, over, over sin because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done in his resurrection. So, we look now to our help. Our only help is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's, he's described here as the creator in this verse. The one who is the maker of heaven and earth. Such is his power. We can't but think of a, a step beyond that description. As we think of our deliverance from our great danger and the help that we have in Christ, not just as the creator, but, but as the redeemer. He helps us at that level and we, we turn our eyes as we've tried to do this evening to the cross of Christ and see how we have been helped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. You know, the, the incident at the pool of Bethesda that's described in John's gospel. A man had been there for was it 40 years. And, uh, and Jesus says, you know, why, why haven't you, why haven't you gone in here? And the poor man just says, I've, I've got nobody. I've got nobody. I've got nobody to help me. When I try to get in, somebody beats me to it. I've no one to help. Well, the wonderful reality of a psalm like this is we have a helper. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth and who hasn't just made a, the old creation but has made a new creation in Christ Jesus. So there, there, there's, there's the song, uh, the wonderful song um, 
And what a tremendous theme uh, for us to, to march our lives to every day, that uh, if the Lord had not been on our side, you know, we, we, we would just have been swept away. But, but, but the, here is the reality of it. And you can hear these people as they make their way up to Jerusalem singing the words of this wonderful song. And the theme of it is something that we can embrace and take to heart tonight. So may God encourage us uh, with our great salvation and our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us.